We present the news quiz with your chairman, Simon Hoggart. Hello, and welcome again to the news quiz. We start with the cutting scene in the Guernsey Press, read by Brian Perkins. La Mer de Cartonnet Secondary School is in the worst condition of any school. Education Council President Martin Ozan told last night's St. Peter's Parish meeting, the roof leaks, the cladding leaks, and when the tide is high, the water comes through the floor. But apart from that, it's sound. <laughs> Thanks to Wendy Byron for that. Let's meet the teams. Please welcome, first on my right, Francis Ween and John Sargent. <laughs> Opposite them on my left, Alan Corran and Fred McCauley. Francis, who had an ace in the hole? No idea. Um, no, I do know, actually. It was rather dramatic. Uh, the Americans found Saddam Hussein, who had uh, rather cunningly grown a beard to disguise himself as David Blunkett. And, um, <laughs> but, of course, you don't fool George W. Bush that easily. Uh, so they shaved off the beard and found they got Lord Lucan, I think. <laughs> looked jolly like him to me. But um, he was found, yeah, he was found hiding in a tiny hole in the ground near Tikrit. And the house next door, where he'd been living most of the time, was the house of his former chef. Well, surprisingly, his hideout. And, sorry to say, probably not a very good chef, to judge by the state of the kitchen, because uh, there were a couple of Mars bars, I think, and a can of 7-Up. Mm. And then a horrible-looking bowl of gunk that might have been a salad at one stage. It was rather like that uh, Daily Mirror bloke who got into the palace. It was a sort of Tupperware situation. I mean, nobody lives well at the higher echelons. <laughs> he's lying there on 750,000 quid, and he's eating a Mars bar out of an old saucepan. <laughs> you think nobody lives well. <laughs> I think he must have thought after a fairly difficult year that uh, he was getting things sorted out. He got a, a place to hide. He got three-quarters of a million pound in dollars and he'd worked out a perfect way to avoid Christmas. <laughs> You're describing Geoffrey Archer there, you know. The sad thing is that nobody can tell that great Salam joke anymore. You know the joke about the doubles? Go on, go on. Oh, it's great. No, it's a terrific joke. While he was on the run, there were 48 doubles of Saddam Hussein, and at some point they were all gathered together by Tariq Aziz. And he said, there's good news and there's bad news. They haven't found Saddam yet. But he's lost an arm. <laughs> I think the thing about Saddam Hussein, though, which you must be looking forward to, which is his fair trial. Um, that must be... Well, and and you can imagine that the tension on the last day when the verdict is about to come. <laughs> you know, there's certain words that only ever appear in newspaper headlines, like probe and rap and quiz and so forth. And there was a headline in, I think, the Daily Mail saying British experts will join Saddam quiz. And I had this <laughs> charming idea that uh, Anne Robinson was going to be flown out to uh, supervise a thing with Chris Tarrant as her junior. It was pretty dramatic the way they, they said, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we got him. And then everybody, cheering like that. I, right down the front, there's the rookie reporter going, who? <laughs> Sit down, keep the noise down, who? <laughs> It's the capture of Saddam Hussein in an eight-foot-deep spider hole in the village of Al-Dawar on the outskirts of his hometown of Tikrit. Early reports indicated the former dictator had spent months hidden away in a miserable, stinking hole. And most of us had no idea he'd ever been to Birmingham. <laughs> Following his oh. capture... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> 
Excuse me, I lived for years in Birmingham. I speak of what I know. <laughs> the Iraqi dictator spent the last three months locked away in a tiny room, little bigger than a cupboard, making regular broadcasts to the nation. Intelligence sources claim he was retraining as a BBC continuity announcer. <laughs> John, why is being invited to a party not beyond our ken? Oh, this is a deeply political question about Ken Livingstone, and for some reason the Labour committee that looks into these matters has decided that he should return to the fold. They think it's because he's going to win the mayoral elections in London next year. I'm not so sure. You know, I, I, I'm not convinced he's going to win. We're all going to get a bit cross about the billion pounds that London owes and who's going to pay for it. But anyway, they think he's going to win the election, and therefore they want him back with a, a Labour jersey. I'm very, uh, very sad about it, really. So he was the main reason I lived Crookwood, left Crookwood. You know, he was, he was my neighbour. And uh, he kept newts, and I had a pond, and I was about four doors away. And his newts used to get in and, and, and sleep with mine. <laughs> it, it, it is absolutely true. And he kept things called grand tritons, because he was very flash. My newts just grew. They were local scruffy newts. But he bought his newts at Palmer's Pet Stores. And they were size of axolotls. They were, they were, they were like alligators. <laughs> and they would come over the fence and service mine and go back. <laughs> and mine were never happy with an ordinary newt again, because after you've had a grand title, <laughs> you do not fancy a normal newt. No, no, he polluted my pond. And that's why we left. I should shut up now. Brendan, were you wanting to say no, something? I, I, it was relevant uh, an hour or so ago. <laughs> Can, can I phone home? Because I think one of my kids has graduated. <laughs> Ken Livingstone may be readmitted to the Labour Party after a vote this week by the National Executive Committee. Livingstone is ready to prove his willingness to stick to Labour's principles, though that may prove difficult as Labour don't seem to have any principles left. <laughs> Fred, who had sum it up with their constitution at the weekend? That's uh, the EU which is a, a greeting that many people will be using in the streets of Scotland over the next few days. <laughs> EU. <laughs> e? I, you. Yes, yes um, the, the, the European the uh, summit on the Constitution ground to a halt because, uh, well, they, they thought they'd wait until they handed the presidency to Ireland and they'll sort it out. <laughs> the problem is on the, the way that they've uh, thrashed out how the votes are going to be given, I think. Uh, Britain and France and Germany and probably Italy have got 29. Two of the new guys, Spain and Poland, have got 27, I think, which is surprising because, uh, I mean, apart from sending us all their gifted dancers, I don't know that the Poles have done much for us over the last... <laughs> <laughs> It's the collapse of talks to produce an EU constitution following disagreement about the number of votes to be allocated to the different member countries. Before last weekend, the Conservatives had warned that a new constitution would be the first step to the creation of a European super-state. That's just like a normal state, but it wears its underpants on the outside <laughs> and is vulnerable to kryptonite. <laughs> Alan, listen to this.
Alan, whose plans have been denounced as plain nonsense. Is this all the alternative runways? Yes. As if enough horrible people weren't coming to this country all the time uh, with cameras and backpacks and large plaid trousers. Uh, <laughs> as if enough horrible people weren't leaving this country all the time to, uh, to go off to sunnier climes. But people seem to want to be in the air. And uh, this is going to expand. And, um, and therefore, the poor sods who live in Hounslow and Uxbridge or around Stansted or around Gatwick uh, are going to have their ears butchered. Year after year after year, there are going to be more and more airports and there will be nothing. Uh, Birmingham is going to look good, Simon, I tell you. They're going to put another one in in Ringway. The only parts of Flint will be all right in about the third uh, millennium. <laughs> what we're seeing here is a traditional British protest. First of all, we find the oldest house that will be knocked down. We don't mention the fact that compensation will be paid. Then we go to the end of the area where the runway is going to be built and we look for the rarest orchids possible. <laughs> if they're not there, we plant them. <laughs> Sunset and Heathrow to get new runways under the government's 30-year plan for air travel. It's known as the 30-year plan because that's how long it will take you to get your luggage back. <laughs> the plans for Stansted would mean 100 properties being demolished, including two ancient monuments. But then are we really going to miss Michael Foot and Joan Collins? <laughs> we start round two with a headline from BBC Northeast's Seafax page. Local man found dead in cemetery. Francis, whose artistic endeavours were a mammoth tusk? Is this the, um, the cave in Germany? It is, two points. Where Saddam Hussein has been found. Um, it's, uh, yeah, some... Ivory figurines, I think they were called, have been found in a cave in Germany by some archaeologists. And they're very old. They're more than 30,000 years old. And they're the first, I think, the earliest forms of human art ever found. And they're quite nice. Uh, there's a, a flying duck and a crying boy and a tennis player scratching her bum, that sort of thing. <laughs> they're, they're, they're quite sophisticated. It breaks your heart to see these people. Because one, the archaeologist who found it said they were clearly early human rather than Neanderthal because Neanderthals weren't capable of art, obviously never having heard of Damien Hirst. And um, I thought 30,000 more years of evolution after all these rather elegant horses and uh, ducks and things, and we get Tracy Emin's bed. <laughs> but it was a religion. I mean, you haven't mentioned the fact that these little shamanistic things were actually part of a very early religion. Shamanistic? What does that mean? Well, it means like a shaman. Oh. Right. <laughs> Three ivory carvings discovered in a cave in Germany are thought to be the oldest figurines ever discovered, predating the Easter Island statues and most of the Beverly Sisters. <laughs> the carvings include a duck in flight and a horse's head, proving that ancient man was not only working class, but also a mafia enforcer. <laughs> John, who've had their articles cropped. Who've had their articles cropped? Well, these are my old chums uh, back in the BBC News division who have been told that from now on they won't be able to publish articles in the newspapers because they might be on controversial subjects. So, I mean, can you imagine you get John Simpson rambling on about the Middle East, Andrew Marr talking about politics? I mean, you could, you'd have to stop that. You can't have that in newspapers, for goodness sake. Anyone might read it. Um, and someone like John Humphreys, who's normally as quiet as a mouse on the Today programme, <laughs> lets him loose on a newspaper, 
No, it's got to be stopped. So the BBC quite right, just saying this has got to be stopped, absolutely. Uh, it's all because of this uh, Andrew Gilligan business, and it's the policy of shutting the stable door after the horse has bolted. <laughs> exactly. You're not going to stop you writing your column, are they, Simon? No, I don't get any money from the BBC. I pay them to do this job. Oh, <laughs> Can I just propose that uh, for half of whatever John Humphreys is getting, I won't write for the Sunday Times. <laughs> well, and also, um, Jeremy Clarkson's not affected because he's a motoring presenter. So he can write columns about politics in newspapers because he doesn't do politics on the BBC. Because he's called not a journalist for some reason. <laughs> as long as you're not a journalist, then obviously you can write about controversial subjects. And then Humphreys yeah. can do the cookery page. Exactly. <laughs> Andrew Mark can do music and everyone is happy. I think it's wonderful. <laughs> It's a new BBC ban on journalists and presenters writing columns for magazines and... You know what? Ah, I resign. <laughs> From now on, BBC journalists will have to confine themselves to dull, uncontroversial subjects like gardening and food. So, just another evening on BBC Two, then. <laughs> Fred, listen to this. Fred, why are the lords a-leaping over the latest honours list? Oh, well, uh, I believe Tim Henman might be getting an honour um, of some sort. Uh, is he being made a lord or an earl? Or a, put like put in the House of Lords for services. To, I didn't know he did charity work. Does he? Well, he doesn't do tennis. No. It's an, it's a, <laughs> it's, it's an M MBE or something very, very right. small, which they said they're going to give him to make the honours list look more interesting. God knows who else is on it, um, but Steve Davis has been passed over once again. I think it would be a much more interesting list if uh, Henman nearly got an honour. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we, we, we know the ritual, don't we? We rush out to Henman Hill, we, we shout about it, we get very excited, and then he doesn't manage it. And he's then given the title of great British loser and that's what we like that's what he's meant to do we can't have him being given honours it would be a shambles I don't know why I've never got an honour I've been slagging these people off for 40 years all that attention they never give me anything all those rat bags in Parliament and the royal family they give me nothing every New Year's Day I wake up bit of a hangover, and the missus says, nope, nothing. <laughs> and we, we can already see the news item, can't we? Sir Alan Corran said today, what a good system the honour system was. <laughs> this week a memo was leaked from a secret meeting of the New Year's Honours Committee suggesting Tim Henman should be included on the list. The honour system has rejected moves to modernise its selection methods, saying it will steadfastly defend the ancient British tradition of eeny, meeny, miny, moe. <laughs> Alan, what received a tolkien of the nation's affection this week? Oh, well, that's awful. I don't know. Why you, you, you ask questions that sort of draw out my age and curmudgeoniness, and I sound like this, but I know that I'm right. I really know that Sense and Sensibility is marginally better than Lord of the Rings. I was taught by Tolkien. It shows how old I am, the Anglo-Saxon with Tolkien. And, and it was one of those... Like, 
France will be upset here, but that ghastly group, like C.S. Lewis, of English men with huge trousers and crusty suits and large briar pipes who hate women and live in this prep school world, and, and The Lord of the Rings was just that. So Tolkien decided to write an Anglo-Saxon epic, and it's awful. It's quite terrible. But because it's a film, Clive Anderson and all his friends vote for it. I hope Britain. this is not developing into an attack on the Big Read series, because... I hope it is. I think it was You're one doing of the well. greatest cultural series the world has ever known, and I don't... <laughs> <laughs> What's rather sad is Alan's attack on Tolkien, his old tutor. I mean, that was quite a moment, wasn't it, on the well, news quiz, just now. About time, too. Mm, well. It is dribble. But if Alan had been listening properly, he could have written these books himself and he wouldn't be messing around here in the evening, would he? <laughs> J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings beat off competition from proper books and Harry Potter to win the BBC's Big Read competition. The success of Lord of the Rings is just another worrying sign of the penetration of pointy-hatted pursuits. As I remarked to Fenodree the Dwarf and Thrym the Impaler over a glass of mead at the Guardian party last night. <laughs> Before we start the final round, here is a cutting from the New Straits Times. Six women were arrested in a hotel room in Miri on Saturday evening. They were later charged with offences under the immorality law. Meanwhile, in an unrelated incident, a man was slightly injured when he fell off his motorcycle in Kuala Lumpur. <laughs> David Champion shocked over that. Francis, listen to this. Francis, why might you be able to walk like a woman but play sport like a man? Oh, well, I, I assume this must be that, that Turner Prize person, but we had that a week or two ago. Um, transvestite sports people. Hmm. Um, I think they've got it. We know it, but I don't know if John knows it. Oh, this yes, is about the... Oh, he John knows it. Help Francis yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Uh, this is all about um, hermaphrodites playing tennis. Um, oh, yes, Tim Henman, in fact. <laughs> <laughs> it's, no, it's, it's, he's about to get a damehood. Under the honour system. Yeah. No, what... Because no, um, you, can yeah. play, you can play tennis without having a sex change operation, if you're a man, and enter the women's singles That's by, by calling yourself a woman. You can, under a law that's been going through Parliament at the moment, you will be able to change your gender without any sort of physical nonsense. So this means if you're a male tennis player and you think, I think I could win the women's championship, <laughs> ah, yeah, they say, fine. So... You then get your tennis clothes on, carefully sculptured tennis clothes, so it doesn't show. And you then go there and you beat the women. Yep. And you have a very deep voice. You say, oh, what big tennis shoes you've got. <laughs> yes, a loophole in gender recognition bill allows people to change their sex legally without undergoing surgery and could throw men and women's sporting events into confusion. <laughs> Critics of the bill fear that men will legally become women in order to win top women's sporting events, while women will legally become men so they can play pocket billiards. <laughs> John, why is a pharmacy not the best place for a financial headache? Oh, this is a weird story. This is, you know how people think they're going to get rich. Uh, someone phones up and says to you, you have inherited a Nigerian 
oil field. And the next thing that happens is you're asked to provide £23,000 for a bank in Scotland. And you then have second thoughts. You're beginning to doubt what's happening. So you then go up to the bank, which is in Thurso, in Scotland, and of course you've been had. It's all a ridiculous hoax. Italians and Americans turn up in Thurso. Thurso is now full of angry and annoyed foreigners going around throwing stones at this little innocent chemist shop. Excuse me, is this a bank? <laughs> just, but in th probably the only one here that can do a genuine Thurso accent. Yes, go on, go on, go on. Hi. Oh, no, uh, this, is, this is the pharmacy bit. You'll, you'll need to move along the counter there. Margaret, get me the banker's hat. <laughs> another couple of numpties here. Uh, yes, 50 million, please. That's grand. And none of us will ever know whether no, that was good or not. <laughs> well, Scottish pharmacy has become embroiled in a Nigerian banking scandal which has swindled hundreds of thousands of pounds from ordinary investors. One well-known American was so outraged to discover he wasn't entitled to millions in oil money, he took the law into his own hands and invaded the Nigerian capital, Baghdad. <laughs> Investors calling the first number were automatically rerouted to a financial con man based in London. Police believe he's operating in the Westminster area under the sinister nickname of the Chancellor. <laughs> Fred, why on paper does Britain have the best roads? The M6 toll <laughs> has been made with two and a half million pulped copies uh, of a book written by somebody who has you know, lunches at Christmas time with bad shepherd's pie and good guests, no doubt. You know, they're published by Mills and Boone. Oh, you're joking. They're Mills and Boone books. Roger came down the slip road and headed straight for the central reservation. <laughs> oh, have you longed to be back in the hard shoulder? <laughs> it all goes to prove that the road to true love never runs smooth, isn't it? <laughs> Always runs smooth. If you came here with that joke, may you be forgiven. <laughs> the new M6 toll road has been built on top of two and a half million Mills and Booms novels. The books are shredded into a paste which is added to asphalt and tarmac, or hospital food, as it's known to road builders. <laughs> Ironically, Dame Barbara Carlton also believed in the benefits of a strong foundation, which was applied by mechanical shovel at nine o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Alan, why is everything and the kitchen sink only led to porridge? Yes. With an airline pilot who made the mistake of flying away from Britain for a long weekend, not realising everybody in Britain was a villain, and two blokes, one of whom was called Roast. I think they were called Corbin and Roast. They sound like Burke and Hare. But uh, they came in and stole his kitchen. He had one of those kitchens full of, uh, made by Smallbone of Devices or whatever it is, or Philip Stark and these people. And they, they stole the entire thing, and they stole the kitchen sink as well. Rather stupidly, they installed it in their hideout. And, uh, you know, even the British police, when they looked through letterboxes, it's a funny thing. That is the kitchen we're looking for. <laughs> and, and, and it was. So they went in and nicked them. Whether, how this bloke quite gets his kitchen back, I don't know. I suppose he's going to go and identify it. But, but they took it away and rebuilt it somewhere else. That's about it. <laughs> Pilot returned from holiday to discover burglars had stolen everything from his fitted kitchen, including the sink. Andrew Weir of Exeter was completely shocked to find the burglar had taken the fittings, the doors, the electric fire and the kitchen sink, but gutted to find they'd left behind the jar of courgette jam given to him by great-aunt Doris last Christmas. <laughs> 
Before we reveal the final scores, let's hear the cuttings the teams have brought along. Francis. Simon, this uh, is actually provided by Nigel Hooton. It's from the Kettering Evening Telegraph. A man has been sentenced to nine months in jail after admitting a string of offences. Neil Garvey, 21, pleaded guilty to unlawfully having a knife in his possession in a public place, stealing a Vauxhall Astra, a Yamaha motorbike, 12 charges of driving without a licence, 13 of driving without insurance, and 11 of driving without a test certificate. Val Blow, for Garvey, said her client recognised the seriousness of the crimes and was considering joining the army. (laughs) (laughs) John. This is from Tim Ashby from Amberley in West Sussex, and he tells us, I'm approaching the age of 65, so I've just filled in my application for my retirement pension. Near the end of the form, it says, under what's due now, it says, check that you are sending us all the documents we've asked for. These could be your birth certificate, your marriage certificate, your decree absolute, certificate of annulment, decree of divorce, or death certificate. (laughs) Fred. This is from Sarah McIntosh in Edinburgh, who sent me this Herald newspaper advert. General Manager, Edinburgh Crematorium Limited. This post carries responsibility for the overall direction of the company's activities at Warrison Crematorium and Seafield Cemetery Crematorium. In particular, the post holder will be required to identify, evaluate, and recommend to the board opportunities to expand the business. From the Salisbury Times, it's about Mr. Millard. Mr. Millard, who celebrated his 95th birthday at the Oddstock Arms last Tuesday, has led an eventful life. He told his guests that he had seen King George VI no fewer than seven times, and that it would have been eight if a police horse hadn't stepped on him. (laughs) Thank you all. Let's look at the final score. Francis and John have got lots and lots of points, and Fred and Alan have exactly the same number. Before we leave you, here's an item from the parish newsletter of the Priory Church of St. Mary and St. Michael. Don't let worry kill you off. Let the church help. (laughs) With that, goodbye. Taking part in the news quiz, Francis Ween, John Sargent, Fred McCauley and Alan Corrin. The chairman was Simon Hoggart and the news was read by me, Brian Perkins. The chairman's script was written by Trad Poles, Lad Clark and Otter Littlefield. And the producer was five-year-old Nichols.